is your boy. This is Danny Nerdnik. Welcome back to the Danny Nerdnik podcast. It's been a little bit longer than I'd expect, um, but to be perfectly honest with you, uh, things have changed. Things have changed. You know what? That's okay. Life is all about change. And we're like, we're kind of okay with that. And because of that, we're, we're doing some new stuff. So, welcome to a brand new episode of the Danny Nerdnik Podcast. Today, uh, we have a couple weird little things that we're doing differently. Um, first off, this, in addition to being a very special after-school special style Danny Nerdnik podcast episode is also going to be receiving a grade. That's right. This is part of a capstone project for um, a college class that I'm taking to finish out my degree. That's right. So, uh, hello, Power of Food students. How y'all doing? Um, okay, so t- let's get to it. Today's episode is um, what, I mean, in in college terms, you'd call it a dual major. It is going to cover not only the ethics of factory farming, which is a huge topic in and of itself, but also we're going to fold in GMOs and why they're good into all of that. Now, I know you're thinking, uh, but Danny, that's... That's a lot of stuff, man. Like this is this is like an hour long podcast. This is a forty five minute podcast. How how are you going to study something that's taken thirty years to get at least one answer on? And well, here's why: we have answers. We have science. The science is there. The jury is no longer out. GMOs are not bad, and factory farming is. Period. The science supports it. Now, I could just say, good evening, folks, and wrap everything up right now. But I have um, have a reputation to uphold, especially in this class. And you know what? God damn it, this is a very interesting topic. And I think that we can all get righteously pissed together. And I'm not just talking about drunk. Although, you know, trigger warning... Um, if you ever wanted to pour yourself something super boozy, you know, like three fingers of some brown party liquor, maybe, you know, some, some corn stuff that you got down at the speakeasy that you don't really trust, you know, that you sent to the lab and they sent you uh, a letter back that said, sorry about your, your horse, uh, having diabetes, that type of hooch. You want the stuff that's going to make you go blind. That's what you need for this episode. That's how depressing this is. So we're only going to scratch the surface. This is just segment one where, you know, in lieu of food trends, because having done the research on this, I could talk for hours about what the hell is going on. But, you know, segment one, we're going to do about 15 minutes here. And then we're going to take a little breakity break. Um, So usually in segment one, we talk about food trends. What's going on in the world of culinary arts? What uh, is going to be the big thing for summer? Ooh, we got more important stuff to do today. So we're going to just kind of do a little bit of groundwork 
we're going to set the the setting here, uh, the little dramatis, dramatic personae uh, of kind of um, what we're looking at in terms of what we're talking about. So Monsanto, everybody knows Monsanto. Um, they're one of the major players. We're going to do a little bit more as to who they are in segment two. Just remember that Monsanto is going to be flitting about in and out of this story. Um, remember the phrase Terminator seeds. No, it's not what Arnie did with... Never mind. Um, Terminator seeds. They produce once and then they die. They, they're infertile. Can't produce another generation. Uh, the phrase CAFO, we're going to go into CAFO a little bit more in segment two. Um, GMOs, genetically modified organisms, we're going to go into that a little bit more in segment two. Um, but first, let's discuss factory farming. Now, factory farming is the idea that one can mechanize farming, the essentially the taking of animal lives, the, the fattening up of animals and then the taking of animal lives on an industrial scale to sate the hunger of the human beings and animals of the domesticated animals of the world. Now, all in all, this is not an immoral practice. When we get to the point where we don't look at the livestock anymore as living, feeling, thinking creatures with minds and nerves and feelings and fear as acute as our own, this is when we run into a situation when morality needs to be tested against what is going on. So, thinking critically here, if we have a situation wherein a farmer, a chicken farmer, let's say, puts themselves into six figures worth of debt to build themselves a couple of chicken houses, each housing 25 to 35,000 birds at a clip, only four doors into the place, no windows, and the birds are fed um, protein-rich, um, antibiotic-laden, hormone-laden food that will fatten them past what their frames can really handle in a time, the speed that they're not meant to necessarily be progressing at. And again, not seeing the sun their entire lives. Never breathing fresh air their entire lives made to stay in an area that's probably six inches square their entire lives. Shit cascading down their feet, trampling their family members to death inadvertently. Such is life 
for chickens in CAFOs. And you might think, Nerdnik, you're being vulgar. This couldn't possibly be how Tyson, let's say, or Purdue, let's say, just for example, keeps their chickens. Maybe so. They don't let cameras in. So nobody really knows how they keep their chickens. All we know is that the videos that are smuggled out are fairly disturbing. And according to the film Food Incorporated, the way they're handled on the way to being slaughtered is just as not nice. Why did the chicken cross the road? It was trying to get away from the CAFO. Oi. Anyway, let's talk about something fun for a sec. Since you, since we spoke last, my life has changed dramatically. Uh, I've had a relationship, past tense, she was insecure and mean, and I am a big baby, and, you know, things just break down. They they just fall apart. Entropy is a, a real force in this here universe, and we, we just have to do our best to understand that entropy and time and circumstances are out of our hands. The best we can do is grab on to whatever strap hangs down in the subway car of life and hang on for dear life. And at some point, you get to your stop. Whether you get off, that's up to you. Maybe you... I think I'm losing this, uh, this metaphor here. So suffice it to say changes, ch 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 changes turn and face the great ch ch changes. Uh, any more of that and I'll get a copyright strike. I love anybody else love Bowie. Hit me in the comments below with not only your, your favorite Bowie song, but your ba your favorite Bowie lyric, as well as your favorite Bowie album. So song, album, lyric, David Bowie, ch-ch-changes, such a good tune. Oh my God. Okay. So if you know me IRL, that is in real life, or at least as close as you can get in real life in these COVID-19 times, uh, you know, I got a puppy. I have always wanted a puppy dog. Always. My mom, not so much a fan. Dad, low-key loves dogs, but had to go with mom because mom's the boss. Um, so I got myself a Husky Corgi mix. You can find him on Instagram at Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S underscore K period underscore Crowley. 
Brooks K. Crowley on Instagram. Um, so here's the thing. Most people will say adopt. Yes, absolutely. I'm all about adopting, except I am fully aware Brooks is from a puppy farm. But I, I know what happens to puppies that don't get sold. Uh, they don't really have much of a life. And Brooks, when I saw him, I saw the spirited, adorable, gorgeous little man he is. And I just felt it in my gut. So much like factory farming, we can't let these puppy mills continue. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, factory farming, specifically CAFOs. Uh, we're going to talk about genetically modified organisms and why they're good. And then we're going to tie both of these things together in a beautiful dovetail. We'll see you after the break. Stick around. back to the Danny Nerdnik podcast. I am the titular Nerdnik. Um, today we're talking about GMOs and factory farming. Um, so let's hop into GMOs just for a second. You know, what happens when we splice together a tomato with a squid? Do we get squamatoes? Or cucumber with a bull I got nothing I got no jokes here uh, no that's patently ridiculous GMOs are very simple they are any organism whose genes have been modified by human or natural intervention that is to say, I'm sitting right next to an adorable puppy dog. He is of two different breeds. He is a husky and a corgi mix. Now, he is a genetically modified being, is he not? Let's think about the banana. The humble, humble banana that we all, well, some of us like. It actually makes my legs hurt, which is weird. I eat bananas, my, my thighs start to ache. It's very, very strange. But the banana. The banana did not start by looking like that. Originally, bananas would have these seeds all the way through them. They would be inedible, fibrous, disgusting. Uh, 
but through human intervention and selective breeding, we've modified the genetics of the plant to the point where we have the Cavendish banana, the single most popular banana varietal in the entire world, which is a very smooth, pale, custardy, frankly delicious, even though it hurts me, fruit. Same thing with oranges. We have satsumas, we have navels, we have honeybells, apples, we have pink ladies, we have red delicious, uh, golden delicious, honey crisps, uh, we have galas, macintosh. Now all of these are different, different GMO uh, plants. Their genes have all been modified by intervention of another being, by human intervention. The fact that GM crops have gotten this stigma is because of evangelical hippies and people who are ill-informed don't understand the science behind it. Now, I have had dealings on Reddit as of late with QAnon people who try to tell me that GM foods are another arm of George Soros's, and I said, stop there, we're done. And I moved on to look at pictures of adorable puppies and kittens. So we're not even going to entertain conspiracy theory regarding genetically modified foods. And there's a reason for that. Because when you have journals such as National Geographic, the Royal Society, the freaking FDA, uh, and then the Food Network having having uh, an editorial by an MSRD, CDN, ABC, DEFG, blah, blah, blah. When you have the New York Times, and I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen different New York Times articles from the last five years regarding not only GM foods, but factory farming as well. Now, here's the thing. Genetically modified foods can be modified to grow in arid climates. For instance, if we could produce rice that were to grow in sub-Saharan Africa or vegetables that would grow in regions wherein vegetables do not grow. We could feed hungry people. People who deny the benefits of genetically modified organisms don't understand the human casualties 
that are caused by ignoring the obvious benefits. We've been using GM foods for time immemorial. Domestication is genetic modification. Period. All this is doing, the modernization of this, uh, of, of this process is simply the standardization and not relying anymore on, on chance crossbreeds. Putting together a Punnett square is fine, but you can never 100% unless you go in and know what the genes look like, you will never 100% be able to predict what the offspring will be. Thus, GM foods are what we need. So, here's where we're at. We're at the point where the planet is deteriorating. I was reading an article today on Reddit. I, I'll, I'll find it and post it in the notes um, later uh, when I go to post this about how there was an ice shelf in Antarctica, one of the larger ones, and it's just gone. Gone. The greenhouse effect has absolutely screwed this planet. Now, this ties in to the two topics that we're covering today very, very easily. So GMOs are great, right? But like any great thing, too much of it is, you know, bad. So let's think about this. We can make genetically modified plants. Let's talk about corn for the moment. We can make genetically modified corn that is resistant to bugs. That insects which try to eat this corn, their innards, because we've introduced a gene into the, the corn, the bugs' insides, their uh, gastrointestinal tract, will deteriorate, will, will dissipate, or... Um, It'll self-destruct like Mission Impossible, like a note in Mission Impossible. Um, and because we don't have that type of, of guts as human beings, we're not affected by that gene, right? So we have corn that can repel bugs, but then... On the flip side, we've also created uh, plants that are resistant to pesticides, so much so that we blow pesticides all over them, kill all the bugs, but then the plants are toxic because we've painted them with pesticides. So we really do have this kind of double-edged sword here, which is unfortunate. Now, GMOs inherently aren't bad. I, I, I think I've made my point there. But what we're segueing into here is like anything else, 
nothing is good or bad. It's all in how you wield it. So in building to factory farms, genetically modified organisms are ramped up production-wise to fill out these larger feedlots. Now, what am I talking about? Well, let's think about it like this. We've domesticated those cows. We've domesticated those chickens. We've domesticated the sheep. That's not good. So, because we feed these animals in CAFO systems. Now, let's uh, just for the sake of the noobs in the audience, we are going to go ahead and find the um, definition here. So, CAFOs. Concentrated Animal Feeding Operation, CAFO. Now, per the Sierra Club, um, the Sierra Club says, why are CAFOs bad? What is a CAFO? A CAFO, or Concentrated Animal Feeding Operation, is an industrial-sized livestock operation. The quantity of urine and feces from even the smallest CAFO is equivalent to the urine and feces produced by 16,000 humans. I'll let you sit with that just for one second. A CAFO can house anywhere from hundreds to millions, with an M, of animals. The animals in CAFOs are most often dairy cows, hogs, or chickens. CAFO animals are confined at least 45 days or more per year in an area without vegetation. CAFOs include open feedlots as well as massive windowless buildings where livestock are confined in boxes or stalls. Other terms used to describe a CAFO, a mega farm, Animal factory, hog motel, poop factory, industrial farm. I don't know about you, but none of that sounds fantastic. Like, I love steak, but I don't want to eat a steak produced in this manner. It just doesn't seem right. So, what's in CAFO waste? In addition to plant nutrients such as phosphorus and nitrogen, CAFO waste is likely to contain antibiotic-resistant res bacteria, hormones, chemicals used in livestock care, milkhouse wastes, cleaning agents, ammonia and heavy metals, silage, leachate, and millions of gallons of water contaminated by all of the above. CAFO waste is often stored untreated in giant anaerobic, that means there's uh, no oxygen getting through, 
anaerobic waste storage structures or pits for up to six months. That's a shit lagoon, guys. After storage, it is spread on farm fields for disposal. This is where CAFO wastes often enter surface water. Nutrients in this CAFO waste can cause bright green algae blooms in ditches, streams, and lakes. As these surface water algae blooms die off, the oxygen in the water is depleted. What does this do? It can lead to fish kills. Additionally, drinking water plants must remove these nutrients before water is fit for consumption. Pathogens such as E. coli bacteria, cryptosporidium, and salmonella, all of which can cause sickness or death in humans and animals, may be present in CAFO wastes. Okay. So let's go back and let's talk about GMOs. Bearing in mind CAFOs. We have plants and animals that we have plants that grow faster and are resistant to uh, bugs resistant to um, weed killer uh, pesticides so on and so forth we have animals which are being fed on diets that are not species appropriate and thus needing antibiotics. And then that waste has those chemicals in, in it, which then gets into the water table. Now, GMOs are not inherently bad. In fact, I would say the idea of a GMO is good. But by stacking the deck in the favor of evil things, you are taking what could be good and using it towards an ill goal. The issue here clearly is not GM foods, it's CAFOs. It's not what we're using. It's how we're using it and how much of it we're using. In the next segment, we're going to talk about maybe a couple ways that we can start to reverse what we've been doing and uh, some interesting things that are happening around the, the farming community. In the background, you hear uh, Mr. Brooks, my gorgeous GM puppy. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. See you This is the Danny Nerdman.
GMOs. We're talking about CAFOs, factory farming, and how we can um, take everything that's going on now and quite literally do the exact opposite. Factory farming is a blight upon humanity. The industrialization of farming livestock is killing the planet. The industrialization of weed killer pesticides, etc., 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 is killing the planet. Now, we need bees, right? Bees go from plant to plant, pollinating, you know, making sure plants grow. That's important, right? Making sure we have plant life making sure the plants reproduce, I'd say that's pretty freaking important. What do pesticides do? They kill bugs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've stopped eating tuna out of cans. The phrase dolphin-safe tuna means about as much as 99% fat-free. Still got fat in it. They can't be sure there's not actually a dolphin up in them nets. Think about that. While you're trying to sleep tonight, I want you to to think about that poor dolphin, that poor bottlenose. Ah, oh, flipper. <laughs> He's in your sandwich. Mixed with some delicious Hellman's mayo, red onion, Celery. Maybe a little mustard if you're feeling you know, squirrely. You can never be sure, right? Unless you know the people you're getting your stuff from. It's like, okay, someone who isn't me used to um, procure certain herbal remedies uh illicitly but like think about it like this right you never know exactly what is adulterating that weed that you're lighting up smoking a joint right now aren't you and unless you got that from a dispensary or your own grow room, how can you be sure that they didn't, like, dip the nugs in kerosene? How can you be sure that the kid making the cheeseburgers at McDonald's didn't put their pubes in it? Happened to me once at the mall in Burlington, Vermont. That's a story for a different day. I got the kid fired. It was absolutely disgusting. He was giving me the stink eye. All I wanted was a double cheeseburger. Still upset. That's like 10 years ago. And that's the point. That's the point of all of this. We're disconnected. Fundamentally disconnected right now from our food sources. Like people kids my niece my niece she's almost four years old 
And before the pandemic, before we came up here, she didn't realize the connection between chicken nuggets and chickens. Chicken nugget was one word. Until we went to a farm and she saw some chickens. She used to eat bacon. They used to describe her as a pescatarian that eats bacon. She used to eat bacon till she met a little piglet. Fully vegetarian. Me, I'm an omnivore. I, um, I have no conscience, I guess, is what that is. Uh, but that's a that's a story for a different time. Let's loop back here. Let's loop back as as the the G fuel kind of infuses itself and the caffeine settles deep into my brain balls. Let's see if we can't loop back on what the actual point here was. The point is, you have to know where your food is coming from. Giant factory farms in the middle of nowhere don't have windows for a reason. They don't want you to see inside. What you see when you tour these facilities is like, it's akin to what you would see if you were to tour North Korea as a tourist. You see exactly what they want you to see. You will not see the truth. And the truth is filthy. The truth is... Pork workers, pig workers, people who who process pork, right? Their fingernails are falling off of their hands. Why? Why? Because, because the pigs, I'm sorry, my microphone stand is falling. So I'm just going to go ahead and hold my mic and do this kind of like um, almost... I'll do this almost like um, stand-up comedy. Apologies, guys. This is the least professional I've ever done this show, and it's about as professional as... I mean, it's not. It's not. I didn't have anything queued up there, but I wish you could see me. I wish my uh, webcam were working right now. I look positively ridiculous. Anyway, so unless you know, like, what's... Uh, unless you know the farmer the rancher, the, the way that the animals are being treated, like morally speaking, you don't have a leg to stand on. At that point, the vegetarians and vegans win, right? Factory farming is like a kick in the balls for the omnivore. And the reason for that is... Omnivores like to say, you know, I will eat anything as long as it's it's raised humanely, you know, as long as it's raised for this particular process, as long as it's humanely raised. And frankly, I don't want to know about when they dispatch it. The omnivore at that point, if they eat a steak from the grocery store and it doesn't say what farm it's from, then the omnivore loses the moral high ground to the vegetarian. 
and the vegan. But then again, the vegetarian and the vegan, specifically the vegan, we're looking at you. Let's uh, throw you out on Front Street, vegans. Now, vegans don't want people to use any animal products or, or, or byproducts. I, I beg this question of you vegans. Please hit me up in the comments section below. Uh, don't cancel me. Just like correct me. I know it's not your job. I know it's my job to do the research, but like this is an opinion show nine times out of 10 and like one time out of 10, there's a little bit of funny stuff. But vegans, let me ask you a question. If a rumen, a ruminant, a rumen, if, if a ruminant needs to be milked and their udders are swollen and the animal is in pain and there are no young around, what do you do? Do you allow the animal to be in pain? And then essentially, I, I think it's bag rot that sets in where the udders begin to rot. They get inflamed. And um, this is what I'm understanding from Marcus Parks of last podcast on the left. Uh, I love that show. Hail yourselves, guys. Y'all are, are fantastic. But the point is, we are all biological beings. And there are biological processes that we all need to respect. You know? Like, bees make honey, right? We're higher up on the food chain than a bee. Honey is delicious. Agave is delicious. And there's just as many spines to get the agave as there are to get to the honey. I mean, look, we need the bees, make the bees come back, use the honey. Cause like, think about what happened during the, the like beginning middle of the pandemic fields were plowed under because people were at home. People were too sick. People weren't allowed to leave their houses and thus they weren't allowed to tend the fields which means a, a large percentage of food viable food became food waste in an instant and the same thing at smithfield production facilities and a lot of other meat processing plants there were there were excesses of, of meat that went unprocessed and thus rotted because the pandemic had shut everything down. Now, what happens? What happens when these small rural towns where the meat facilities die? When the kids all go to the larger city and these meat towns become like ghost towns on Route 66? Think about it. The industrialization of this particular facet of gastronomy hurts everybody between the amount of, and this is going to sound funny, and I know we all used to laugh at this in the 1990s, but the fact is this is a real concern. Cow flatulence, 
the methane produced from the sheer amount of cows. And we talked earlier that there's there's more effluence produced by livestock than humans. I mean, that's sickening. If cow farts contribute more to the greenhouse effect than Donald Trump's farts, I think we're in a situation that's unsustainable and untenable. And I, I think we're just rehashing at this point points that we've all made in our own heads for this last year. What do we do about it? Well, for one, we immediately stop the industrialization of meat and we turn over the meat facilities to municipalities. We break down the monopolies. I think there's five companies that control meat in the United States. We break that down. We need community farms. We need county ranches. We need facilities run by the state. And I'm going to sound like such a goddamn communist right now. Look, I'm a democratic socialist, pretty avowed. I, I run more towards the socialism side of things, even though I do like having a bunch of nice stuff. Like if I could have an 80 inch TV on the wall, a PS five, like the best chronic that you could put down in your, your sweet, sweet lung holes, uh, the sweetest TV, one of the new AMD processors, you know, if I had money, I would enjoy myself. But at the same time, you have to have understanding. So I, I think my train of thought left me at the station right there. Where were we? I mean, look, long story short. Uh, oh, right. Socialism. We need less large feedlots that span, you know, a 16th of a Midwestern state and more green pastures. I can't remember the gentleman's name from Food Incorporated, but he runs the chicken farm that the government said was unclean, even though to me it looked like those chickens and cows lived good old lives. And frankly, those chickens looked less scared to die than the pigs looked in the industrial kill house. I mean, I don't want to die. I don't want to kill anything. I don't want to kill anyone. I'm... I am a pacifist. I, I don't believe that violence solves a damn thing. Uh, I think the only good violence is that which is depicted uh, in film and television and video games. I think real-world violence is not good. I, I don't think it does anything except perpetuates a, a, a toxic humanity. But that's, again, that's a different show. I think that's more like a mental health and wellness podcast. This is a gastronomy podcast. We talk about food and culinary tall tales and like 
how we got to where we are food-wise. And I, I think today's episode, today's topic is really important um, to our food way, uh, which is to say uh, the American system where the average person, the average consumer gets food. So like our food way is a Safeway or an A&P or a Stop and Shop or a Hannaford, or whatever local grocery store it is that you go to. Um, I actually have an interesting article about Costco chickens. Speaking of grocery stores, let's, um, let's do that article, uh, and then we'll wrap up a little bit. So, boop, 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 boop. This is, um, we're feeding America, but we're sacrificing ourselves. This was a really, really good opinion piece from the Times. Uh, I'm going to link a bunch of stuff uh, to this episode. And I think you're really going to dig it if you want to do a little bit of extra reading. Um Oh, goodness, where did I put it? Here it is. The ugly secrets behind the Costco chicken. Give me a sec. I need to re-log in to uh, the New York Times. It's, it's, that's the thing, right? It's the best laid plans of mice and men. I, I love technology. When the Terminators come, that's it. Okay, so this is, again, per the New York Times, which, um, being a New Yorker myself, I, I'm a bit biased towards it. Uh, this is an opinion piece by Nicholas Kristoff, who is one of their opinion columnists. This is from February 6th this year, 2021. Uh, the ugly secrets behind the Costco chicken. An investigator went undercover and brought back disturbing video from a farm growing these famous birds. Probably like many of you, I think of Costco as an enlightened company exemplifying capitalism that works. One ranking listed it as the number one company to work at in terms of pay and benefits, a prime example of a business that is both profitable and humane. Unless it turns out, you're a chicken. Rotisserie chickens are selling for just $4.99. Each are a Costco hallmark, both delicious and cheap. They're so popular, they have their own Facebook page, and the company sells almost 100 million of them a year. But an animal rights group called Mercy for Animals recently sent an investigator undercover to work on a farm in Nebraska that produces millions of these chickens for Costco, and customers might lose their appetite if they saw inside a chicken barn. It's dimly lit. With chicken poop all over, said the worker, who also secretly shot video there. It's like a hot, humid cloud of ammonia and poop mixed together. Unquote. You may be thinking, huh? People are dying in a pandemic. Donald Trump is facing an, a Senate impeachment trial and we're talking about chicken or er, poop? Yet we must guard our moral compasses. And someday, I think, future generations will look back at our mistreatment of livestock and poultry with pain and bafflement. Yet they will wonder how we in the early 21st century could have been so oblivious to the cruelties that delivered 499 chickens to a Costco rotisserie. Torture a single chicken in your backyard and you risk arrest. Abuse tens of millions of them? Why, that's ag agribusiness. And it's not that Costco chickens suffer more than Walmart or Safeway birds. 
all are part of an industrial agricultural system that, at the expense of animal well-being, has become extremely efficient at producing cheap protein. When Herbert Hoover talked about putting, quote, a chicken in every pot, unquote, chicken was a luxury. In 1930, whole-dressed chicken retailed in the United States for $7 a pound in today's dollars. In contrast, the Costco bird sells for less than $2 a pound. Those commendable savings have been achieved in part by developing chickens that effectively are bred to suffer. Scientists have created what are sometimes called, quote, exploding chickens that put on weight at a monstrous clip about six times as fast as chickens in 1925. The journal Poultry Science once calculated that if humans grew at the same rate as these chickens, a two-month-old baby would weigh 660 pounds. The chickens grow enormous breasts, because that's the meat consumers want. So the bird's legs sometimes splay or collapse. Some topple onto their backs and can't get up. Others spend so much time on their bellies that they sometimes suffer angry, bloody rashes called ammonia burns. These are a paltry version of bed sores. They're living on their own feces, with no fresh air and no natural light, said Leah Garces, the president of Mercy for Animals. I don't think it's what a Costco customer expects. Garces wants Costco to sign up for the better chicken commitment, an industry promise to work towards slightly better standards for industrial agriculture. For example, each adult chicken would get at least one square foot of space. There would be some natural light, and the company would avoid breeds that put on weight that the legs can't support. <clears throat> Excuse me. Burger King, Popeyes, Chipotle, Denny's, and some 200 other food companies have embraced the better chicken commitment but grocery chains generally have not, with the exception of Whole Foods. I asked, I asked Costco for comment. John Sullivan, the company's general counsel, viewed the Mercy for Animals video and said that much of it simply depicts, quote, normal and uneventful activity, unquote, but that, quote, no system is foolproof when you are raising 18 million broilers at any given time, unquote. He said that the company is working to adjust the genetics of Costco birds to develop a, quote, more proportionate build, but that this takes time. In one respect, Costco has shown real leadership. The most barbaric part of the chicken industry is the traditional slaughtering process, which results in some birds being boiled alive. To its credit, Costco has moved towards a far more humane approach called the controlled atmosphere stunning, so that birds are stunned before being shackled to conveyor belts that take them to their deaths. How does that sound more humane? Just saying. Anyway, back to the article. Sullivan argued that the company is focused on animal welfare at every step of production, even saying that trucks carrying live chickens are set up for optimal comfort of the birds. Hearing the Costco pitch, you get the sense that the Costco chickens are enjoying a middle-class avian existence until the moment they end up on the rotisserie. 
when birds topple onto their backs and can't get up and their undersides sometimes carry ammonia burns, don't believe it. Yet what struck me was that Costco completely accepts that animal welfare should be an important consideration. We may disagree about whether existing standards are adequate, but the march of moral progress on animal rights is unmistakable. When I began writing about these issues, I never guessed that McDonald's would commit to cage-free eggs, that California would legislate protections for mother pigs, that there would be court fights about whether an elephant has legal personhood, and that Pope Francis would suggest that animals go to heaven and that the Virgin Mary grieves for the sufferings of mistreated livestock. Hmm. If the Pope is right, Costco chickens may have a better shot at heaven than Costco executives. I don't pretend that there are neat solutions. We raised a flock of chickens on our family farm when I was a kid, and we managed to be neither efficient nor humane. Many birds died, and being eaten by a coyote wasn't such a pleasant way to go either. There's no need for misplaced nostalgia or traditional farming practices. Just a pragmatic acknowledgement of animal suffering and trade-offs to reduce it. Abuse of livestock and poultry persists largely because it is hidden even as chickens are slaughtered in the United States at the rate of one million per hour around the clock. We treat poultry particularly poorly because humans identify less with birds than with fellow mammals. We may empathize with a calf with big eyes, but less so with species that we dismiss as bird brains. Still, the issue remains, as the English philosopher Jeremy Bentham posed it in 1789. The question is not, can they reason, nor can they talk, but can they suffer? Many of us aren't quite sure what rights animals should have or how far to take this concern for animal well-being. We're learning as we go, but most are willing to pay a bit more to avoid torturing animals. And that's why fast food restaurants make better chicken commitments. It's why Costco will eventually come around too. And that's by Nicholas Kristof uh, in the New York Times. Look, he makes some excellent points. Guys, at what point do we sacrifice convenience for our very souls? Now, I want to ask you a question. If you had to come face to face with the facility in which your dinner was processed, that is to say murdered, stripped of feathers, gutted, and cut... Did you still eat that chicken? We'll be back after this. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, or today, this morning, this afternoon. Whatever it may be that you're giving us a little lesson. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, this is your boy, Danny Nerdnick. 
Uh, you can find me on all major podcast platforms. Just look for Danny Nerdnik. N-E-R-D-N-I-K. That's me. That's right. Uh, also, uh, PlayStation Network, Danny Nerdnik. Uh, you can search for me on Call of Duty, Danny Nerdnik. I'm probably there. Uh, MTG Arena Destroy, D-I-S-T-R-O-Y 420. Yeah, buddy. Um, all right. So find me on Twitter at Danny Nerdnik. Um... On Instagram, it's at eatribs underscore listen to the number two fish, P-H-I-S-H, like the band. You can also follow my pupper ski doodle at uh, Brooks K Crowley. That's Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S underscore K period underscore Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y, like the Aussie song, Mr. Crowley. It rocks. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out, talking about some GMOs, factory farming, KFOs. Oh boy, oh noes. <sighs> Man, it's kind of depressing when you think about it. Like we're eating ourselves into oblivion. The human race is a virus, a blight upon this planet. And unless we really take our stewardship of it more seriously, I do not foresee us making it to the year 3000. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to end things on such a down note. Um, So I guess I will leave you all with a joke. All right. Here's a little joke for you. There's a man going ice fishing, right? And he walks out onto the ice, sets down his stool, gets his fishing gear together, gets his saw, and he begins to saw into the ice, and he hears a voice from up above him, and it says, There are no fish here. So the guy picks up his saw, he picks up his rod and tackle and and stool, and he walks off to another spot. He sets down his stool, sets everything up again, and as he starts to saw into the ice, he hears the voice again, and it says, There are no fish here! So the guy gathers all of his stuff again, moves himself to another spot, sets up one more time, and again, there are no fish here! The man looks up, he goes, God? The voice says, no, I'm the manager of the ice skating rink. There are no fish here. Anyway, thanks for listening to the Danny Nerdnik podcast. I am the titular Nerdnik. My name is Daniel Schwartz. Uh, You can find me on all major podcast platforms, all major social meds, And remember, never forget this is the most important part. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, but if you do, do it well. Have a good one, guys. Got you on the flip.